Welcome to episode one of Indistinct Chatter. My name is Cameron McCachron, and I am very excited to finally get this thing up and running. For those who don't know me, I am a broadcaster based in Halifax, Nova Scotia these days, a proud Cape Bretoner, and I spent most of my professional career on the island until the beginning of the most recent hockey season. Uh, this year, I was the color analyst on Halifax Moosehead's home radio broadcasts uh, alongside my good pal, Gareth McDonald, another good Cape Breton boy. He and I have covered a lot of hockey together in recent years, and uh, obviously getting the invite to join him in the booth this season was a dream come true. I've always wanted to be a sportscaster, finally took the leap this year. Uh, I was also the play-by-play announcer for the Dalhousie Tigers men's hockey team in U Sports this season. Called a bunch of minor hockey uh, games, tournaments, just trying to add to that uh, sports casting resume uh, as much as I can. It's been stressful, to say the least, uh, trying to make it happen with a full-time gig to fall back on, but uh, no regrets. Uh, still been the most fun year of my life, and I've learned so much, and I'm just uh, teeming with excitement to drop the puck on a season that will end with a Memorial Cup tournament hosted right here in Halifax in 2019. Uh, but before I came to Halifax, as I said, I was in Cape Breton, where I was the afternoon drive host on 101.5 The Hawk in Port Hawkesbury, where I grew up, uh, at least as much as I have grown up. And when I say that, I mean uh, I grew up both in Port Hawkesbury and at the Hawk. It's the family business. I started doing this and that when I was about 12, you know, editing audio, uh, downloading shows, that kind of thing. I was on air by 16 and uh, into the afternoon show right out of college, which I hosted for seven and a half years, uh, wearing many other hats along the way as well. I'm also the host of the East Coast Countdown, uh, which I still do, a weekly syndicated radio show uh, that shines a spotlight on some of the most talented musicians from Atlantic Canada who are, for my money, uh, some of the most talented musicians anywhere in the world. So it's been about nine months since I had somewhere to uh, wax poetic on a daily basis, and I've kind of missed it. I've been meaning to start a podcast for a while now, but like with most things, I spent far too much time in my own head about the whole thing. You know, what do I want to focus on? Do I need to have a theme? Should I have a regular co-host? Who are my guests going to be? And the question that had me stumped above all else, I think, was, what the hell am I going to call this thing? And like most of the problems in my life, the solution came to me from Netflix. Uh, Nine months as a slightly employed hockey broadcaster has left a lot of time for Netflix, as you might imagine. And uh, four ear surgeries by the age of 13 combined with a, a general lack of focus has made me one of those people who watch Netflix with subtitles. And I'm telling you, if you don't do this, you're missing out. Um, one of the phrases that you'll see constantly whenever there's background noise, if you've got the subtitles on Netflix, uh, you know, people chattering away from the action, you're going to see indistinct chatter. And I thought it was the perfect name for the theme of this podcast, which is there's no theme. Uh, this is where... I'm going to shoot the shit about things I find interesting, talk to some of the people I've crossed paths with over the years, uh, share some of the music that I'm enjoying, and just try to put together an entertaining and interesting show on a semi-regular basis. Uh, kind of like my afternoon show at the Hawk, except I can say shoot the shit, 
and a bunch of other vulgar stuff that you could probably tell I wanted to say over the years, but I couldn't because I didn't want to put some sweet old lady in the ditch on her way to evening mass in Glencoe. But, but the shackles are off now. I've got some fun stuff planned. And uh, of course, I wanted to make a splash with episode one. I am in full NHL draft mode right now. Uh, I've always loved the draft. Uh, as a Leafs fan, it was pretty much the only thing to look forward to up until 2016. And since it is now June, which is the month, everyone becomes a draft expert. I wanted to get an actual draft expert on uh, Jerome Berube from Hockey Prospect will join me later to recap the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League draft that took place earlier this month. We'll talk to him about a number of prospects for the NHL draft as well. But there was only one real option for my first guest because I have had my proverbial 15 minutes of fame. Uh, Some use it for good. Some use it to get rich. I used it to shriek like a banshee on national television almost seven years ago when I learned that I would be interviewing TSN's Kate Burness, host of The Morning Loop, and just announced recently as host of the network's CFL Thursday Night Programming, which kicks off this week. So I was incredibly thrilled and grateful that Kate took some time out of her schedule this week to catch up. We reminisced about her visit to Port Hood on the Craft Celebration Tour in 2011, which is how we met. And of course, I got her take on recent happenings in the NHL and the NBA and uh, find out what she's up to this summer, including plans for trips to Halifax. Uh, Kate Burness is the first guest on Indistinct Chatter next. Very pleased to be joined uh, for the very first time, the very first guest ever on the Indistinct Chatter podcast. Uh, welcome to the show, Kate Burness. How are you? Cameron, it is such an honor to be your very first guest. I'm doing great, my friend. That's good. Uh, that's good. And very, very uh, pleased that you took some time out of your busy schedule here. Um, Kate, you and I met back in 2011. Uh, Port Hood won the Craft Celebration Tour. And uh, here's a little refresher on that. This was my highlight of the night, and you need to set this up properly. So what happened Okay, very, very quickly. This morning I phoned a radio station just outside of Port Hood, Nova Scotia, where we're going to on the Craft right. Celebration Tour. They asked if I could actually phone back later in the day to speak to a certain uh, afternoon drive host. Cameron McEachern was his name. And he was, he was a very nice individual. Let's sure. just say Port Hood is really excited to have us. No, Cameron was really excited to talk to you because this is his reaction. They videotaped it. The people at the radio station, Dave Cameron. Finding out that he was going to be interviewing me, and he was a little excited. A little excited? He's never seen a girl, let alone talked to one. No wonder he's I'm kidding. Cameron, I'm kidding. Here's how Kate Burness's biggest fan reacted after learning he will chat with her about the craft celebration tour on the afternoon drive in Port Hawkesbury. I'm starting to think Kate has this effect on every man. Just 
pretty much. <laughs> so a uh, very exciting time in, in Port Hood. And when Port Hood was announced as a nominee, Kate, it was uh, kind of our number one topic of, of discussion on air at the Hawk until the vote, uh, especially for me being a sports guy. And my understanding here, Kate, is that you had a, a friend in the area who heard us and, and told you, and that's what kind of started this, because you called us. Is that how it worked out? A friend in the I mean, this was a long time ago now. But what I do recall was I got a phone call or a text from a friend, and they said that I think you freaked out on air. No, you freaked out when I called, but there was something along the lines of you being somewhat in love with me, I think. Right. Not to make this whole podcast <laughs> awkward, but it should be. Yeah. And uh, then I, that's when I decided to call into the radio station because they're like, you probably should contact them. It would be really funny. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. Right. And that's when we surprised you on air and you screamed like a girl. I did. I did indeed. And <laughs> you know, it, it, you, you say you don't want to make it awkward, but Last time I interviewed you, my opening question was, will you marry me? So, Yeah, I mean, it's how many years later now? We're like seven years later. I'm still not married, Camp. So, I mean, I'm saying there's a shot. That's all I'm telling you right all now. All right. I will, I will take it under consideration. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, as you said, so, so someone uh, messaged you. And, and the whole thing was, you know, we knew that, that uh, you know, this was coming. And, and when it was announced, we knew who was going where. Like, Jay and Dan were going west. And, and we knew that you and Dutchie would be here if Port Hood won. So I, I really leaned into the whole, uh, I have a big crush on this sportscaster, and we could bring her here. Please make this happen for me. That that was my my thing. Well, and it, and it obviously worked, to be quite honest. So, <laughs> it, but like just the sheer passion too from the Hawk from Port Hood. I mean, that was such a memorable stop for us, to be quite honest. And I, I don't know, just the way that all worked out. I just I I love the East Coast so much, and like like a lot of towns I've been to in the East, you guys just made us you made us feel so welcome and so at home. So. I um I know it didn't go any further our relationship, but uh, I truly did appreciate the passion and just just the, literally the love we felt from that community. It was so much fun, and you know I, I remember um, obviously this was the, the big lead up, but I had been a fan of yours going back to the uh, Vancouver Olympics, and I think you had just started at TSN. You were doing the the SC updates during during that Olympics, right? Yeah, that's, it, that's so correct. I started uh, TSN December two thousand and nine. Right. Um, so that was literally right before the Van Olympics and every single anchor left and uh, and I was just like oh my gosh like I, I think I'm the only anchor to do sports center here so I remember doing like two SCs a night during that and it, it pushed me so hard out of my comfort zone you had no other co-anchor to rely on and mm-hmm. those names coming down from the Olympics were just oh my goodness it just right. seemed so overwhelming but Honestly, I, I I'm so thankful for that experience because I think it made me a way way better SE anchor. And then when they all got back, I'm like, no, I got this. Don't worry about it. So, yeah, that was like my first big huge test at TSN. I think. Right. That's awesome. And and, and I remember um, I remember the first time I heard you, and it wasn't I didn't see you. I heard you. I was on my laptop, and I was just listening to you know Olympic prime time or whatever it was. And, and then they throw to you, and it was like someone dropped a stack of books in the other room. Like, my head snaps around, and I'm like, who belongs to that voice? And I've been a fan of you ever since, and a year and a half later, we're square dancing in the Chesticoe Museum. <laughs> who, who 
would have ever thought, right? <laughs> uh, so I, I appreciate you so much coming on, Kate. I, I, have you been back to Cape Breton since then? I have not. Actually, the first time... Oh, no, I have not ba- been back to Cape Breton. Um, where am I going? I'm coming to Halifax twice this summer, though, which I'm so excited about because I think the east in the summer is just magnificent. But uh, I ended up going... We did go east as well. Uh, I went there with Rod Smith, um, nice. I think two years, or no, the year after that. Um, but I but I haven't been back since, so I'm so excited to come back this summer because uh, just like food, people, music, beer, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> is it work or is it uh, the... the the finer uh, aspects of, of the East Coast no, lifestyle. It's actually, um, it's actually two gigs that I'll be doing. So, uh, you know what? There's certain things too in Halifax that I haven't experienced. I haven't gone to Lower Deck, which everyone's like, Ooh. you need to go to Lower Deck. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty pumped about that one. Um, I'm actually bringing my dad out for one. So we're going to make it into a little bit of a family trip. And if you do, do recall too, they were in Port Hood. Yes. That's how much they love the East Coast as well. So awesome. it'll be uh, it'll be a nice little summer getting, getting out there once again. For sure. For sure. Um, well, we'll We'll shift to uh, to sports, Kate, and uh, let's let's start with the NBA. Of course, uh, Cavs Warriors four strapped up, Golden State sweep. A- anything surprise you in that one? Oh, not at all. I mean, it was. I got to cover the Raptors this year for the very first time and be with the team, be around the team, and uh, I got to witness LeBron live uh, five times this year, six times total, I guess. And that would have been the only thing in when it collapsed in game one. It reminded me so much of the Raptors series when the Raptors could not put home one of those four shots in their series against the Cavs and, and you know, get them in that first game. When that happened to the Cavs with the whole J.R. Smith mm-hmm. situation, it just, I knew it was done. Like, I'm like, that was your one window. And LeBron was on the next level, but really the final was Houston and Golden State. Houston was the only team that could truly compete with them. So I don't think anything shocks me. I think until that core of Clay, Draymond, uh, Steph, KD is broken up, that team's, you're not losing. Even if LeBron moves and he moves with someone else, and I, I just think it's, it's never going to happen. And no one's going to beat Golden State until that core is that core is broken up. Uh, you mentioned J.R. Smith. I love the NBA for the storylines. I, I, I probably don't watch enough basketball, but I love following it because the characters are, are so well-defined. Like when I heard, you know, you, you see what happens with, with the J.R. Smith play at, at the end of game one, and, and you hear about it and you say, well, of course that happened. It's J.R. Smith. This is, this is what his character arc was always building toward. It, this is not J.R.'s first blunder, let's say that one, but it's just, it is. It's, it's a league, and I, and I appreciate the league because we, you know, we're talking about players. We're talking about personalities. We're talking about characters, and, you know, this is very similar to the NFL model, and I know, you know, moving into football right now, moving into the CFL, uh, this is something that I'd really like to, to see the CFL do. Like here in Toronto, you get Ricky Ray back, you get SJ Green back. You've got all these you know, obviously Johnny Manziel mm-hmm. now. I mean, you've got all these big personality guys. And I think when you're a fan, too, it is. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a drama. It's almost like a soap opera sometimes. And, and you need those characters. You need those role players, uh, whether it be a hero or a villain. So, yeah, I mean, for, for JR to, to do that. And then, I mean, I think the best part of that one was, too, you see him saying to LeBron James, I thought we were tied. And then he denies it after the game. He's like, no, I knew the score. And then Ty Lue's like, he didn't know the score. It's 
it's just it's like a story within itself now like it just gets better and better so I think the NBA has just done such a wonderful job at marketing their individual players, and that was just a prime example of it. Yeah, the, the entertainment factor is off the charts, and that's without even getting into the whole Brian Colangelo burner account thing, which maybe we'll leave for, for another time. Um, oh, yeah. On to the wraps. Uh, before we move on to the wraps, Kate, LeBron, of course, that's going to be the big storyline this summer. Do you have any kind of a, a gut feeling on, on where he may end up? I say he goes west for sure. I think he's done what he needs to do in the east, and I certainly don't see him joining Philadelphia now after everything, speaking mm-hmm. of Brian Colangelo, after everything that's gone down. I, w- I mean, my best guess is the L.A. Lakers. I've said that since the beginning. I know he's got a, a home there, and I know he likes the young, raw talent that's there. If they make a few moves, they certainly have the room and the ability to do it. We all know they have the money to do it, so... I just think the bright lights of L.A. are just, um, I think it's a perfect situation for him. But to beat G-State, they're going to have to do something, you know, drastic. It's not just going to be LeBron, and you just can't do it with him and Lonzo Ball. So you're going to have to make another move. But, I mean, that's a pure guess. I mean, and the thing with LeBron is, is he probably knows, but we're all we're all just kind of waiting for him. But I, I certainly see him making a move, and for the Raptors, I mean, okay, then that's great. Now we've got LeBron gone. Now there's absolutely no excuse. So it'll be really interesting to see what what they do this offseason. Absolutely. And uh, on to the Raptors, of course. They they fired Dwayne Casey uh, last month. He just landed in, in Detroit, a five-year deal there. Um, NBA's coach of the year, 59-win season. This kind of looks like one of those decisions that could backfire, but the Raptors needed to take a step. It didn't happen in the playoffs. Was this just something that was kind of inevitable? Well, I think the thing is something had to be done. Um, Someone, I mean, someone had to get the ax for what happened. And I think, too, if we look back, Dwayne was not Masai's guy. Masai did not hire Dwayne Casey. So I think, you know, after the Raptors did, you know, so well this year, you you're like, okay, well, it's on the right track. But then to get swept once again by LeBron, I mean, it just can't happen for a second straight year. I'm fine with that. And I think moving forward, though, what the thing is, is you you got to have a guy ready to go, a guy in mind. And right now, I don't think a lot of what the Raptors' problem is is coaching. Were there some missteps by Dwayne Casey? 100%. We could all go back into in-game stuff, and especially in the fourth when you scratch your head a little bit. But... Overall, I just don't think the Raptors are talented enough. I think that's their their key problem, and it would be great to say a coach could come in here and you know get them to play as a, a perfect team and get them over that hump. But I think ultimately you got to make some moves on the actual roster to get that done. So hopefully, with a new coach, a new scheme, and a couple new faces, then maybe it will get there. But my my biggest thing with the Raps has been and always will be. I mean, you look at all the, these you know teams that that win at what's the common denominator and it's generational players it's lebron it's kd it's steph it's it's always a guy you know and i I just think until the raptors you know get that or get something close to it then we're gonna have we're gonna see the same result each and every year will they take a a stab at lebron in the offseason or or is there even any hope well i mean yeah i mean who who isn't taking a stab at lebron right i mean like that's I, I absolutely you do but i mean in my opinion lebron has so much power he could do whatever he wants and do we see him coming to toronto i don't think so i mean uh, 
I I could never see that happening. I'd love to see it happen, but I just don't think there's any possibility. It'll remain a, a pipe dream, but uh, it, it would do something uh, something else for for the Raptors. I I I've already talked to people just in Nova Scotia who said, "Well, if LeBron ended up with the Raptors, I'd have to go to a Raptors game." So it'd be tough to get tickets. I think. <laughs> I think you could double the price of tickets at that point, and I still think they'd sell out. Absolutely. Um, and, and Kate, want to move on to uh, to the Stanley Cup final. Um, very exciting stuff that continues on social media, and we'll get to the Capitals in a moment. But first, I want to talk about Vegas. Uh, the clock struck midnight in the Cup final, but, I mean, in terms of crazy sports stories, where does the inaugural Vegas Golden Knights season rank for you? For me, it's right up there. I mean, I, I've never seen anything like it. No one's ever seen anything like it. Um, and I, I think especially, too, because, you know, you look at the, these other franchises, like you look at, like, the Leafs, right? <laughs> you look at, you know, how long-suffering it has been. And, you know, even all the turmoil that the Oilers have been through lately, oh, the flame season. And then this one team just pops up out of nowhere. It's a mishmash of players that... I wouldn't say everyone said, oh, that nobody wanted. No, they wanted to keep them, but you can only protect a certain amount. I think that's a misconception. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a guy like William Carlson, who did nothing in Columbus, and then comes and has a performance like that. I mean, it was one of the greatest stories. Now, granted, they ended up with Marc-Andre Fleury, who is still a phenomenal goaltender. And we all know in the NHL it takes a, it takes a goalie to get that far. Mm-hmm. Um, but to come in and do that is just something unlike – we've ever seen in sports before at the end of the day they ran out of gas i think that that's uh i think that's the best analogy of what happened to that team and they got severely outplayed um but i think like even storyline to remember that they made it to the cup final is is truly remarkable i think what will be interesting with this franchise moving forward is yeah it was a great story and the rink was packed and there was so much buzz and interest but what happens when this team doesn't make the playoffs like what happens when you know they've got to pick and choose which guys to keep so i think like in the next three to five years it's gonna be very fascinating watching this franchise and you know that that's the big thing you know they they came into the season and just no expectations no hierarchy in the in the dressing room nothing like that and obviously, each season moving forward, uh, you know, it's a different situation. And uh, I mean, how can you even begin to, to set expectations for next year? Because you still look at that team and say, well, the talent level isn't that great, but how can you bet against them? Well, and that's exactly it. And they, they're going to have some big decisions to make, too, and guys that might move on and get paid somewhere else. But I think, I think you know, pros and cons, like, was it a remarkable season? Absolutely. But now you've set the bar so bloody high, like all these fans in Vegas coming out, and they're like, okay, now we just expect, like, cup or bust now. Like, it's just, it, it is, it's been set that high. And as I said, you know, it'll just be really, really interesting with a pro franchise there now to see, you know, how the fan base will adapt. Because in my opinion, once, you, once you've gone that high and everything, every, everything's great, and you're winning at home like crazy, and it's a party and it's an atmosphere, things change, as we know in sports, very quickly when your team is not doing well. It's going to be a fun storyline next season. And, and I'm very excited as well to see what the predictions are for Seattle's inaugural season. Oh, no, it's going to be all the way to the Cup. That's I'm putting them right right to the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> uh, automatic, automatic on everyone's bracket. 
and of course the capitals they finally get to the promised land and i i just i couldn't stop smiling watching that cup presentation just so happy to see ovechkin uh finally get it and obviously he, he's been having a lot of fun in the aftermath as well this is the greatest celebration I've ever seen with the Stanley Cup. I'm not even lying to you. I love looking at social media right now in the morning to see what Alex Ovechkin did with the Stanley Cup the night before. It's, um, but I tell you, when it's been uh, 13 years in the making, or 13 seasons in the making, I, if I was Ovechkin, I'd be doing the exact same thing. I, you know, there are very few athletes like Ovi that just completely wear their heart on their sleeves. He wanted that thing worse than anyone I think I've ever seen watching pro sports. And all you're seeing right now is pure and raw emotion of Alexander Ovechkin. And just for being criticized for over a decade that teams can't win with him, that he can't win a Stanley Cup, that this eludes him, and that he is the greatest goal scorer of all time in the NHL, in my opinion. For him to finally win this, you know what? I'd be diving into any type of fountain that I saw as well. So I, I think it's the greatest thing. Um, the party continues. I know the cups with Barry Trotz now, and I, I just think it's, it is so much fun uh, to watch this part of it. I'm just sad it's over because now it's the dog days of summer, but I just think, uh, I, I just think this has been so much fun. And you know what? I'm so appreciative, too, that he's allowing us uh, to see his celebration as well. Like, he doesn't care. Like, his wife's posting everything. He doesn't care. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's so genuine, and I think that's the best part. I, I love it. I, I've been such an Ovechkin fan since his rookie season, and, and the the... Uh, I mean, so many terrible narratives around Ovechkin over the years. And one of them that the one that I could never wrap my head around was the idea that he he doesn't care. He doesn't care if he wins a Stanley Cup. He just wants to win Olympics or whatever. And, and I love that uh, kind of the symbolism of the fact that, you know, here's a year where the NHL players were, were barred from going to the Olympics. And of course, there's there's the, the same voices saying Ovechkin's going to he's going to uh, bail on his contract. He's going to go and play for Russia and then he wins the cup that year instead I love that well and I, and I think that too because I think like let's all be honest Ovechkin wanted to be at the Olympics he always wants to be playing for Russia which I totally appreciate as well um, but at the same time I think he knew the ramifications for the capitals if he did that like he could he could not possibly do it so I think you're right in, in terms of a consolation prize I think that's got to be the greatest thing ever for um for Ovechkin. So honestly, I just, uh, I'm so happy for the guy. Cause as I said, I love seeing genuine athletes and I don't think there is a more genuine athlete than Alexander Ovechkin. And there might not be one that can hold their liquor better either. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll tell you that cup, that cup's been on a ride for the last few days. Let's say that. Yeah. Uh, very fun. I, I can't wait to see the, uh, the commemorative DVD. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be incredible. Exactly. Um, Kate, uh, thank you so much for doing this. I, I want to talk about a little bit about what you're up to. You're headed off to uh, to kick off the CFL season on, on Thursday night in Winnipeg, right? Yes, we do. We uh, It's pretty cool this year, so we're trying to ramp up Thursday night football a little bit. We're going to do it a little bit differently this year. Uh, we've got a concert series coming in. We're going to showcase all the stadiums because I don't think a lot of people you know, understand how much fun it is now to go to a CFL game in some of these venues. I mean, it's just it changed so much. Uh, especially in the last few years, the entire experience of going to a CFL game. So we really want to focus on that. And, uh, yeah, no better place than uh, 
that investors group field on on Thursday night when uh, when the Bombers take on the Eskimos. So I'm fired up to be part of the CFL. It's near and dear to my heart. It's something that uh, I you know was out there with as a kid with my dad watching Argo games and pinball and fluties. So I don't know. I'm so pumped to be part of it, and uh, and I really hope that uh, that we can grow it, especially in places like Toronto, and hopefully we'll be able to see it one day in the East Coast. Absolutely, yeah. I know we're all uh, excited for some kind of announcement here at some point in the near future in Halifax. Uh, lots of fingers crossed for sure. And Kate, you also have something very exciting coming up uh, next month. It is the second annual Hermark, and this is happening in Toronto. Uh, tell me about this. So Hermark is an initiative that I began last year, and uh, yeah, this is my favorite thing that I honestly do on the calendar um, now once a year. So it is a Girls Empowering Summit, and it is designed to bring in girls 15 to 18 years old that have shown exemplary leadership uh, in their school or in their community, and we just want to basically encourage these girls to stay on the path that they're currently on. Between that age, it's a high drop-off of sports, and there's a lot of social pressure right now. And we just want to encourage them that they're doing the right thing. And that if they continue doing it, then, you know, hopefully they'll develop into a leader um, like ourselves at TSN. And I bring in, and for this one, I bring in 12 different uh, Olympians this year. We have special guests. We run through fitness and food and just all the things in life that, that I find very important and I'm very passionate about. And as I said, I just want them to look up to these, you know, Olympians and leaders and think, okay, you know what, I am doing it right. And there are going to be some trying times, but ultimately, you know, if I stick with it, then maybe I can, I can be, become one of these girls one day and do the same thing for the next generation. So I, it's really just like a pass it forward kind of event. And, and it means the whole world to be me, to be quite honest. That's awesome. And uh, that's for, for girls aged 15 to 18, right? And it's hermark.ca. So you mentioned uh, you got some Olympians, um, some of your TSN co-workers. Uh, who, who are some of the names that you're going to have at, at Hermark? So you'll be proud to know that we have uh, an East Coaster herself, Heather Hoys, coming in this year as one of our special guests. Uh, we have a bunch of girls from the women's hockey team, including Natalie Spooner, Laura Stacey, Jennifer Wakefield, Mandy Bujo, our top boxer, and the, the list goes on and on. I can't even tell you how remarkable all these women uh, that I have coming are. So I'm, uh, I'm so proud that they're coming out and they get to uh, inspire our next generation. so much to Kate for doing that. Uh, she is extremely busy and it means a lot that she took the time. Uh, we had some connection issues. I lost her at the end there, but uh, all, all I really had left to talk about was uh, with regards to her mark, uh, the shift that we've seen at TSN in her time, as she said, she started just before the Vancouver Olympics. And uh, my memory certainly isn't a strength of mine, but around that time, obviously Jen Hedger was well-established, uh, Sherry Ford as well. I think Leah Hex Stall was doing some fill-in stuff then too. Uh, maybe Sarah Orleski had just started out 
there weren't many women in on camera roles and now Kate has been hosting the Sports Center Morning Loop the the flagship for 5 years the last 4 alongside uh, Natasha Stanishevsky as the network's first all female anchor team and there are a bunch of other uh, talented women that you see regularly anchoring or reporting Kara Wagland, uh, Kristen Shilton, Lindsay Hamilton, uh, Tessa Bonham has had one of the most impressive athlete to broadcaster transitions that I've seen. Uh, so again, you can check out hermark.ca uh, to learn more about that summit that Kate has coming up next month in Toronto. And uh, thanks again to her for coming on. She's the nicest person ever, right? Uh, most people would have reacted to all this by looking into how to file a restraining order. But uh, she's been nothing but gracious, so thanks again. Uh, We recorded that on Monday, and of course it has since been announced that the Raptors have promoted uh, former assistant coach Nick Nurse to the head position. Just wanted to get that in there before we move on. Uh, Next up is Jerome Berube, head scout for Hockey Prospect. You can check them out at HockeyProspect.com. They just released their black book with nearly half a million words on prospects for the next three NHL drafts. Uh, Jerome has been a Twitter pal for a long time. Uh, He is an essential resource if you're a prospect geek, and he's a super nice dude to boot. Jerome Berube from Hockey Prospect will join me next. Very excited to welcome to the show the head scout from Hockey Prospect uh, at HockeyProspect.com, uh, Jerome Berube. Jerome, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Cam, for the, uh, having me on. Uh, Jerome, very uh, busy times for you, of course. NHL draft just a couple weeks away now. Um, first, we're going to start talking about the uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League draft, which uh, just took place. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll start right at the top. Uh, Hendricks Lapierre, first overall choice to uh, Shakutami. Um, last year, we saw uh, Alexi Lafreniere. He came in and obviously had a, a fantastic season. Uh, probably not fair to expect the same of Lapierre, but I'm guessing he's going to come in and should probably be an impact guy immediately. Is that right? Yeah. Um, you know, he was in our rankings all year, either number one or number two. And I think by in the second half, he really you know, gained that number one spot from uh, Villeneuve. And I think if you look as far as impact, um, I think in Shkunimi, they still have that big ice at their at their ring there. And Lapierre is one of the best skaters in, in the draft. Um, so I think it's a really good fit for him going there. Um, as far as impact, you know, like, obviously not, not a lot of people will have like the Lafreniere type of impact in their first year. Um, so he always re- remind me of like Jacob Peltier who played in uh, Moncton this year. Uh, kind of like not exactly the same type of player, but like I think he could have that same kind of impact uh, next year with uh, the Sagnier. Yeah, and I mean that that's obviously would be a, a great get for them. Uh, no one can expect you know Lafreniere type production. He he had an insane year. Um, William Villeneuve he, he went uh, second overall to the St. John's Sea Dogs. You mentioned him. 
uh, right shot defenseman. Uh, what's the report on him? Very smart. You know, from the from the get go this year, he was our number one guy from Quebec. Um, it switched in the second half, like I said with Lapierre. But at the end of the day, when we talk amongst our scouts, it was you know the team that needs a defenseman will pick him first, and if it's a team that needs a forward, we'll probably pick Lapierre first. Um, so I. So, like I said, very smart two-way defenseman, uh, good skater, good size, but still need to get you know quite stronger for the next level. So there's still a lot of uh, growing for him, but I, I really like his potential. You know, um, at, in my book, if you're smart, you'll play and you'll play for a long time. And he can play. He's really good defensively too, which at this age is not always the case. But he's really good one-on-one and. Um, He's going to power play as well, good vision, so and and a good shot from the point as well. So, uh, you know, those two guys were easily our top two guys all year long for us. And uh, third overall to Shawinigan was uh, Maverick Bork. And it, it seemed to me looking at, you, at your rankings through the year, Jerome, uh, this was a guy that, uh, you know, at Hockey Prospect, you guys seem to hold him in pretty high esteem, um, maybe a little higher at, at times than the uh, central scouting rankings. And he did end up going where you had him ranked uh, at number three. What is it that you like about his game? He's a very good playmaker, skates really well. Um, you know, we didn't have him as high as the number three during the year, but I think with his playoff and and uh, you know he led twelve VR all the way to the final against Magog, and he had a great getaway challenge as well in April. And um, so I was watching him there. I was like, oh, this is, you know, we have to move him up. Uh, there's no other way. Um, I, you know, he's got. Decent size, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but, you know, I think he, he has potential to grow a bit again and, uh, you know, get to, you know, possibly 5'10", 5'11", when he's all, all done at 18. So speed, smart, uh, you can score, uh, really good vision. And, you know, I, I mean, you don't pick for just local guy, but it's cool to, for Shaman again to get like a, he's a guy from Twerger just like 20 minutes away from there. So, um you know, getting a hometown uh, pick at number three, it's it's pretty good for them. Yeah, that puts uh, puts butts in seats for sure if you can uh, pull that off. Um, and uh, fourth overall, uh, Luca Cormier to the Charlottetown Islanders, and this is another guy that uh, you know seemed that. Um, he he was a real riser, you know. Some of those uh, some of those rankings seemed to have him, you know, maybe as a top ten guy. But it seemed like a lot of teams were were high on him, and Charlottetown uh, jumped to grab him there uh, in the fourth spot. Um, do you see him stepping in right away? You know, he's a kind of on the on the smaller end for for a defenseman. Yeah, I think there's going to be some adjustment to make next year, but one hundred percent he will play in the queue next year. Um, very smart player, and you know he's. At that size, you need to be, if you don't want to be a defenseman at that size, you need to be smart and you need to be quick. And he's got his boat, you know, he's a check mark for both. You know, he's, uh, he thinks they're game well. Um, you know, every time now in the queue, it seems like every time there's a small defenseman, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, oh, is he the next Samuel Gerard? And I don't think he's the next Samuel Gerard, but I think he's really, really good. Um, so... Um, I think it's a really nice pick for Charlottetown, and Charlie Joseph will be in last year next season with them. So, you know, be able to learn from him for one year, and then after that, he'll be 
you know, got to be his team on the on the back end. Yeah, and that's a, that's a heck of a guy to learn from for sure. Um, looking, you know, a little further down the, the draft board, um, Cape Breton Scream Eagles had a really interesting draft. They really went big on, on Nova Scotia guys, and they grabbed Alex Drover at uh, the, the 10th overall spot. And, and that was, um, I guess, one of, the, one of the picks that kind of seemed a little off the board at the time. Most seemed to have him ranked as, you know, a guy who maybe could sneak into the first round, um, maybe more likely a second round guy. And then the, the Eagles obviously really liked him. Um, I got to see him play a little bit this year, and obviously the the skill is super super impressive. Yeah, um, you know, I, I believe we had him fifteen this year for the Q draft. So, just for the record, like that, this draft year this year was really there's no real consensus in that first round. Um, right. You know, we talked to like different scouts, and like the rankings were all all over the place, and you know. Um, Drover was a guy we had like, a lot of discussions this year amongst our, with our maritime scout. We have like two guys in Nova Scotia, so a lot of the, a lot of the talk about him. And um, yeah, I was, I was surprised when I saw him that some people had ranked him in the second round. Like uh, like pure skill, he was the first round all day. You know, at ten, I think it's a good pick for the Scream Eagles. Um, he's a he skates well. Um, he's got a really good shot. You know, he's a sniper. He, he will score in the queue. I'm, I'm not worried about it. Um, he's going to score his fair share of goals. And, and uh, you know, at 10, and I look at players that were drafted after him, like, I, I think it's a, it's a good pick by them. And um, I don't think they'll, uh, they'll regret it. One, one bit. No, I, absolutely. And I mean, uh, as I said, I saw him a little bit. And, uh, you know, like you, I, I kind of I remember leaving the games. It was the, the Halifax Ice Jam. I got to call a couple of those games. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of left those just assuming that he was going to be a, a top five pick, you know, walking away. And, and to see that he was, you know, rated as a second rounder by, by many uh, seemed kind of crazy to me. But, yeah, obviously, as you said, a, a lot to like there for sure. And uh, a couple of picks later, uh, Halifax Mooseheads, uh, did they throw you for a loop a little bit, Jerome, with their 12th overall pick? Uh, speaking about going really off the board, uh, Samuel Dubay, um, I don't think anyone saw that one coming. No, uh, not me. Um, <laughs> um, I think that's one of the most uh, surprising picks we've seen in the Q-Draft in res- recent memories, at least for me. Um, obviously, he played in Europe. I didn't, I didn't see him play. Um, like I remember some rumbling about his name during the season, but uh, obviously, if I, if I don't see him play, I can't really, uh, really judge him um, or you know give you my my take on him. I, if Alifax, you know, obviously they saw him play and they like him enough to draft him in the first round, um, there must be something there. Um, they have done a good job scouting in the past uh, couple of years, so. Um, I'm I'm a, I'm really interesting to see him play. Um, obviously, I didn't I didn't this year, so um, he's not a big guy, so might might need some adjustment uh, in his first year next year. Um, so yeah, he was uh, without doubt. I wasn't with the media and when they make the pick, and everyone look at me. Well, I'm supposed to know every player, but <laughs> you know, that's the one guy I didn't know about. I I heard the name, but. And never seen him play, so 
I'm, I'm curious who's going to play uh, next year. Yeah, it's an interesting situation because, you know, obviously off the board, he was he was ranked by Central Scouting as a 6th to 8th round pick, so he didn't even have a, a proper ranking. But when it's the Mooseheads and it's Europe, I think we're at the point where we just assume that they know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, like I said, um, it's going to be an interesting one. They have, like, a lot of success in, with their import pick. Um either from Czech Republic or Switzerland. So uh, I'm really uh, curious to see him play. Definitely, and, and some connections there with that uh, Red Bull Academy. Of course, Noah Dobson came out of there, Jeremy McKenna, a few others. So uh, certainly interesting to see uh, where that goes. Can't wait to see him get on the ice in camp. Uh, speaking of, of guys who might have thrown you for a loop out of Europe, uh, Theo Rochette, he was added to the list um, as being eligible for the, the Q draft rather than being an import player. And that was just, what, a week or two before the draft? Did that kind of send you scrambling a little bit? Yeah. Um, I've heard of the name before, but one, I got, like, a message from someone telling me, yeah, he's in. And I had to, like, really search in my <laughs> my, my mind. I was like, where did I hear this name before? And um, so I had to do, like, a, quite a research for, like, uh, a week or two leading into the draft. So I ended up, like, watching a couple tapes of them from different different uh games i could find and, and you know talk to some people too in in switzerland get like a, a feel a feel on, on the player so um um yeah it was really uh a surprise uh news and um i think uh a lot of the team were scrambling also uh to find info and you know it's it's tough like a lot of people were talking about him, oh, will you go first of all to shooting me? And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, do you really only have video viewing on him? And you have like Lapierre, you saw like 25 times this yeah. year. You know, it's it's really tough to go after what you saw all year. So uh, I think that's why he slipped in the draft. Well, I don't know if he slipped, but like he went seven overall. Mm-hmm. Um so, uh, it, you know, similar to Dubai, I'm I'm really looking forward to watching uh, next year. You know, unlike Dubai, I was able to, like, watch, like, a couple of games of him. And, you know, he looks like a, a solid talent, so, you know, good, smart hockey player. But we'll uh, I'll have a better idea next year. Um, but, you know, yeah, his numbers in, in the Swiss U20 league were really impressive. You know, he, I believe he tied Nick Shiller's... Uh, record for most point by a U16 player so um, that I mean he's in good company there so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and obviously, Shakuta, me, you know, easy, easy uh, decision for them when it comes around the second time, and they have a, a second first round pick there, seventh overall, and uh, then you can gamble a little bit once you, you know, you've got uh, your solid prospect there in, in Lapierre. Uh, also, want to talk about the uh, the St. John Sea Dogs, who have had a, an interesting uh, little run here. They they made some selections at the draft that uh, looked like maybe they were rolling the dice a little bit, but uh, it seems like it's worked out as. Uh, um, they have uh, commitments from uh, Josh Lawrence, uh, who, who was selected uh, 15th overall. He will be reporting to uh, to St. John. It was announced recently. And uh, uh, Charlie DeRoche, another guy who they picked up. They, they made a trade for uh, Michael Campoli, who, who will be coming over uh, as an overager. Uh, seems like uh, St. John kind of swung for the fences a little bit, and it seems like it's worked out nicely. Yeah, I mean, most guys did draft uh, to, to all 
as as now reporting, Lawrence is reporting, Derosh is reporting. Um, they have two of her, like with Derosh and Vilma, then they also have with, um, Jeremy Poirier at a overall. Right. They have like three of her top four defensemen in the draft. So um, I think they really look at batters this year and saw them with, you know, Dobson, Hallwell, and Gallipo and like, be like, you know, we're going to build from our defense. And uh, I think that's the goal with those three defensemen that when they're 18, 19, you know, the, that's three guys that can play 25 minutes a game and play both way. And so, um, you know, and, you know, Lawrence is a, was a top 10 talent. Uh, he didn't have a good uh, Gary challenge, which surprised a lot. It was kind of like the talk of the talk of the tournament talking with scouts and everyone was surprised uh, you know they expect a much much more out of him but at the end of the day that's one tournament and um, he's a he's a good talent you know he's always been a proven scorer at every level he played and um, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to watching him play uh, next year I didn't I didn't get a chance a lot this year except the get ready challenge so um, you know St. John will be a a team that like Skulls wants to see a lot in the next uh, two three years. Definitely, yeah. It looks like uh, it'll be quite a turnaround there, uh, based on their moves at the draft. Um, shifting gears here, Jerome, over to the NHL draft, which, which of course uh, is your focus coming up. You guys just put the, the black book out at uh, Hockey Prospect, and um, obviously you've got uh, Darlene, uh number one overall, Rasmus Darlene. That's no surprise. Uh, uh, Svechnikov at number two. Um, Brady Kachuk is the guy that you have at number three. A, a lot of people think that maybe Philip Zadina might be the, the third uh, pick to the Habs, but it's the Habs you just never know. Um, Jerome, did you hear Zadina's comments uh, during the combine about what uh, Montreal had, had said to him in, in the interviews or, or what it seemed like they had said to him? No, I didn't, I didn't hear this. I think the combine uh, was at the same time as the Q draft, so right. I wasn't... Uh, I was in Germany again, so I didn't. I didn't hear of it, but he, he said uh, he said um, to a, a scrum. This is from NHL.com. He said when asked about um, Montreal as a landing spot, he said, uh, "We'll see. Maybe Montreal wants to trade the pick with another team. I would love to be there, but we'll see what happens." And then uh, being asked about uh, Montreal and Ottawa, uh, this is from Sportsnet. He says, Montreal, I know very well. I've been to the city many times and the fans are awesome, but uh, they're looking for a center or a D. Is that something that a team would tell you? You know, you're a winger and we're going to say, well, we don't want a winger. We want a center or a D. And is that something to just see how he reacts or or do you think that maybe there's more to it? Um, I think Montreal, I I really think it keeps their option, you know, really open. Um, I think to... They will, in combined interview, they will throw any question out there just to get a reaction, see how the players will react. Right. There's a lot of uh, weird questions they're going to ask. Yeah. Just to see how, how the players react. So I think that I was, if he was asked that question or he was told that, I think it was probably just to see his reaction. Um, so I wouldn't put too much stock into it. Right. Um, Obviously, if you look at Montreal, they do need a center. They do, they do need a defenseman. So, but there's not much like center available in this draft. Uh, it's not a good year for center. So this year, so 
you know, I mean, our number one center is cutting the IME from Finland, and, and, you know, he's number eight on the list. So I think number three might be a bit too rich for us. If you trade down, yeah, possibly that could be uh, an option for them. But, you know, at the same time, Montreal said they were not trading that number three pick. So who knows? That's, yeah. uh, yeah. A lot of smoke screens around the draft. Yeah. Well, I was reading, I think it was Elliot Freeman who said this is like around draft time, everyone likes. Yeah. So. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, Brady Kachuk is the number three prospect uh, for hockey prospect. Um, what is it that, that uh, puts him ahead of Zadina for you guys? Well, you know, when we did our rankings, that the first two spots were pretty were pretty set on. Like Dalian was number one all year, and you know, it was no brainer. Uh, Sveshnikov at number two was a no brainer as well. And then we get to number three, and from number three to number eight, we could have made legit make a case for all of them. Um, at the end of the day, we went with Kachuk. We, we just like his smart. Um, he makes like players around him better. I think he gets criticized a lot, you know, online for, oh, he only scored eight times this year. But, um, you know, we feel like his skills are underrated. Um, he, uh, he can score. He can, he can make up, you know, he can set up play as well. And, you know, we're, when we're doing a rankings, you know, NHL playoffs were happening at the same time. And so we're trying to find like, a way of, like, sep- separating players. And, uh, you know, we're watching, like, Las Vegas play and looking at Brady Kachuk. And if we look at that, those, that list of players between three and eight, we're like, well, if I want one player in the playoffs, I want Brady Kachuk on my team. Right. And that was one way we kind of, like, decided to go Kachuk over Zadina. And... You know, is he um, the perfect fit for Montreal and Retreat? Probably, probably not. Um, but, you know, we feel like overall he might be the, you know, the third best player in the draft for us. So that's how we kind of decide to rank him third. But like I said, I don't remember last. I've done like NHL draft scouting since 2012 with Hockey Prospect, and that's the first year that's so tight, you know. If we like release a ranking two days later, we might have, like switch some rankings. So you know, pretty much every day you can, depending on your mood, you can change rankings. Um, so, but you know, Mark, my boss, Mark Edwards, was really high on Kachuk and really pushed for him, and so that's where we, uh, that's why we we went with Kachuk number three. And you know, I I agree. I think he, I think come playoff time, he'll be the guy you want on your, on your team. Like, he's skilled. He's also, he's also a bit of a prick on your eyes. Yep. So, uh, you know, he's a kachuk. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, um, you know what you're going to get. So, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, Zadina at four and uh, at number five, you have uh, Noah Dobson, of course, big right shot D-man and Mem Cup champ. Um, a couple of uh, rankings, a couple guys I'd like to, to talk to you about, Jerome, particularly Q-League guys, a little further down the list. Um, Baudin, Nicolas Baudin um, with uh, Drummondville. Um, I really like this guy's game, and uh, it seems like he's a real riser. Uh, you guys have him at, at number 25, but he, he seems like he's really climbed in the second half of the season. Yeah. Um, obviously, be, where, because of where I live, I, I've seen him play uh, many times the past you know, two, three years. But I really felt like he really took a big step this year. Um, he had like a, a big summer. He got stronger. Um, so that helped him like compete better in his own zone, and you know he's not the biggest guy, but now he can you know compete 
well against bigger players. Um, the key for him, he's a smart player. He's one of the smartest players in the draft. You know, I didn't see him having many bad games this year. When he was not on, he was still quite effective out there. And um, he always he's that new age, uh, small pot moving defenseman that we see a lot. But, you know, the key for him, for us, to, like, move him up in the first round was his defensive game that really improved um, from last year. And um, when we scout players, we always look for hockey sense. And hockey sense was his number one quality, uh, really smart hockey player. And we feel like he's going to translate this game, his game pretty well for the NHL and he, he's just such a, a smooth smooth guy just a beautiful skater to watch um, Joe Valeno uh, this guy is is one of the most interesting prospects to me heading into this draft um, hockey prospect you have him at, at 37 um, I think a lot of folks probably expect that he will go in the first round um, what's what's your take on Valeno I mean this this guy has had such a a strange up and down junior career from you know being the exceptional status and and being on a championship team in St. John as kind of a role player and then you know the best player on a really bad team for the first half of this year and then um, obviously what he showed with with Drummondville. How do you get a, a read on a guy who's who's just been so all over the map? Yeah, uh, that one was pretty controversial uh, <laughs> when we released our rankings, but we knew that was coming. Um, no one ever complains know, about rankings, do they, Jerome? No, never, never. <laughs> um, on his case, like it's it's not like we ate the player. Like I really, I think he's one of the artist worker player in the draft. Um, he skates pretty well. I mean, he's one. I would say you know, top ten skater in in this draft. Um, he skates really well. Um, you know, I've never heard anything bad about him as a you know as a teammate was a you know, off the ice. So that's, that's huge. Um, but just when we project him, um, like that lack of scoring is, you know, he's a flag for us. Um, you know, he scored, uh, I believe 22 goals this year. Um, so his, his lack of goal scoring kind of, uh, scares us. And when we project him, we project him as a, a third line player, uh, at the initial level. Right. So, so when you do your rankings, like if, one guy is a third line player. You can't have him top fifteen. So that's how we see it. And you know, and then you know, when you compare him to other players left in the rankings, you know, we like other players better because we feel like they're smarter. So that's how he end up where he, he is now. So you know, the process. That's how that process happened a bit. You know, for us. Yeah, Valeno, I unfortunately didn't get to see a ton of him. I missed a few of uh, those St. John games early in the season um, to, to cover Dow. But when I did see him, um, he almost struck me as a guy like obviously St. John was, was pretty miserable this year. And I almost saw a guy who was out on the ice like I got to make sure nothing goes wrong. Uh, on this shift, rather than trying to, you know, uh, to try to push the play forward, just just making sure that uh, you, you know he, he's making these small plays so that things didn't completely fall apart when he was out there on the ice. So it's it's a, a tough uh, situation, I, I think, to evaluate him in, and, and it's going to be really interesting to see, I think, what he ends up uh, being down the road. Now, uh, I want to shift just over the uh, uh, over the border from Quebec here, Jerome, for a moment because I, I saw this player name and it didn't really strike me at first 
until I realized that uh, Cody Clark was the son of Wendell Clark, and then I realized that I now uh, need him to be drafted by my Leafs. What's your take on him? Have you, have you gotten to see much of him this year? Yeah, a bit. I went to Ottawa a couple of times. Um, he's totally the uh, opposite of his father. So anyone wishing to see Wendell Clark 2.0, uh, they'll probably be disappoint- disappointed. But like he's a he's a he's a guy who can score. He skates pretty well. Um, he's a skilled guy. So um, and he's being coached by a former Halifax head coach Andrew Turini in Ottawa. So he's in good end over there. Um, so yeah, he's a, he's a skilled guy, can score, but don't expect Wonder Clark 2.0. His physical game is not really a, a strong threat for him. How do you project his mustache at the NHL level? Anything <laughs> like Wendell? Uh, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a high bar. Uh, last guy I want to talk to you about here, Jerome, and this is obviously, I think the guy who is, is probably generating some of the most headlines, um, you know, who's not going to go in the, the top three, uh, Ryan Merkley. So many words written about this guy this year. So much focus on him. You have him at number 70 on hockey prospects, uh, black book. Um, I mean, this is such a hard guy to project. Obviously, tons of talent, um, lots of smarts, but also a lot of red flags both on and off the ice. I mean, do you have any kind of a grasp on, on where this guy might end up being picked in on the 22nd or on the 23rd? Well, he's the, uh, he's the ultimate wild card in this draft. Uh, no one really knows where he's going to go. Um, you know, it's possible he goes in the first round if a team really likes him. But um, I, I'd be worried drafting him in the first round. There's, you know, a lot of uh, rep flag with him. Um, not only like off the ice, but on the ice as well. Um, you know, his compete level in his own zone is not good enough. And, you know, the off the ice thing is, you know, it's an issue as well. And I'm sure teams have done all their research on it and you know combined interview must have been pretty interesting with him um so you know my my boss at hockeyprospect.com mark edwards uh, knows him like he's seen him play since his minor midget year he knew his coach in minor midget so he knew a lot about what's you know what's happening you know off the ice with him and it's a tough one to comment for me because obviously i don't you're not everyone is comfortable talking about what what happens off the ice. So, you know, I just know there's red flag there and you know, a lot of the team are just gonna not not gonna pick him at any point in, in the draft. So I know he's a, a no draft on some teams, so um uh he's a like it's too bad because he's a really talented player, but you know, as far as like scouting, you have to remember not every five foot ten, five foot eleven defenseman who's killed will will make it. You know, Ryan Murphy didn't didn't make it. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony D'Angelo didn't make it. So, you know, you can be as skilled as you want, but you need, you need to be able to defend. And you know, I was talking about Bolden early on. You know, the key for him is that he showed this year that he can defend. Merkley has not shown that this year, and that's a flag for for us. Yeah, absolutely, and obviously uh, he's going to be, uh, I think, the most interesting uh, riser or faller. I I guess depends uh, how you're looking at it. He he could uh, go 
pretty much anywhere in those first three or four rounds, I think, and uh, uh, wouldn't be too much of a surprise. Uh, of course, we've mentioned the Black Book, Jerome. Uh, you guys put that out last week. You got it available in print now as well. Uh, what is it, almost 700 pages, almost 500,000 words, right? Yeah. In the Black Book, we have almost 600 player profile, um, 2018 draft, 2019 draft, even 2020 draft. Um, it's our, I believe it's our biggest book, almost 700 page. Um, it's available on our website if you want the PDF version. Right. Um, and if you want the print version, you can get it on Amazon. And, uh, you know, it's our, it's our big, uh, big project of the year. It's uh, everything we did all year is in there. You know, we have a, every game report we did all year and, you know, tournament report. And one thing that's really popular with people is we, we get actual uh, quote for NHL scout. So if you read a, a player profile, at the end of the profile, you get like actual uh, quote for NHL scout during the year that we get like by being in a ring and meeting NHL guys and the feedback we get from uh, fans is they really enjoy those those quotes that we that we put on uh, on the book. Yeah, and I was going to mention that too because obviously the the profiles are very comprehensive, but uh, really cool to see those notes on some of the players and, and kind of get a feel for yeah what what the NHL scouting community uh, thinks of the player and, and it kind of gives you maybe a little more insight on, on where you can expect uh, the player to be picked as well. So uh, it's excellent stuff. Uh, I mean, obviously you guys are in the rinks. Uh, uh, all year, all over the place, and uh, an excellent resource. I am probably point two percent of the way through it, Jerome, and uh, <laughs> it is uh, an excellent resource already. So, uh, uh, hockeyprospect.com uh, to check out the black book. Uh, Jerome Brube is the head scout for Hockey Prospect. Uh, Jerome, thanks so much for uh, taking the time here. Hey, no problem, Ken. And uh, enjoy the draft. Uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you again, I'm sure, sometime soon. Hey, no problem. Thanks so much to Jerome for that chat. Uh, I am sure that the focus on the upcoming draft will continue in episode two of Indistinct Chatter. Uh, whenever that happens, next week, maybe. Uh, the first draft that I remember watching really closely is 2004, which was the Ovechkin draft. Malkin went second overall, and I have been hooked ever since. And it was probably a bad time to get really interested in the draft in a way, because of course, Crosby goes first the following year and the bar has kind of been set, right? I mean, it's kind of a harsh come down when you realize that there isn't a generational talent or two available every single year. But uh, I, I love the optimism and the uncertainty of it all. And I'll say this, scouting is a tough gig. I did some reports this season for Hockey Prospect on the Mooseheads and the draft eligible players who came through town, just trying to learn the ropes a bit. And there are so many things you have to watch for, a million different factors to account for when you're evaluating. And I mean, I'm stressing myself out trying to decide if I think Noah Dobson or Joe Valeno is the better prospect for a ranking that I may never publish. No financial strings attached, but for the NHL scouts, these are big money decisions. And uh, I mean, I'd say I don't envy them, but I do. Dream job. 
Uh, anyway, that's the show. Thanks for listening to episode one of Indistinct Chatter. Thanks to Kate and Jerome for their time. Uh, myself, I've got nothing but time. So if you enjoyed the show, subscribe wherever fine podcasts are available. And I am sure that episode two will pop up in short order. And uh, if you want to share the episode on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, that would be cool. But I think it would be even cooler uh, if perhaps, you know, uh, say a young lady with sports casting aspirations, or you have a friend who's excited for the draft, or you just heard something on the show that made you think of someone, send them a message and say, hey, I think you'd like this. Maybe they won't, but maybe it gives you a reason to chat with a friend that you haven't talked to in a while. Sharing is caring, folks. Remember that. I'm Cam. Thanks for listening to Indistinct Chatter. Villains reach for